This is Movies for the Blind, Episode 211, The Lazarus Syndrome, Part 1 of 2. This is stupid. Yes. Stupid rules. Hospital. Stupid hospital. Right. Hello and welcome to Movies for the Blind, where you can enjoy films without looking at a screen. I'm Valerie Hunter. In the past, like in the last episode, we've dealt with some of the history of African Americans in the movies, whether it be race films made for segregated audiences or pioneers who crossed over into Hollywood but in subservient roles. So it's nice to feature a black actor who's made his own history but is known by everyone for roles of strength and dignity, many having nothing to do with race. Louis Gossett Jr. was a phenom on Broadway, winning a big role at 16 years old, and has gone on to be one of the most ubiquitous actors on TV and in the movies. With his iconic bald head and mustache, he's best known for two roles, Kunta Kinte's slave mentor Fiddler in the landmark TV miniseries Roots, and the relentless drill sergeant Foley in An Officer and a Gentleman, which earned him the first Academy Award for a black actor in almost 20 years. But he's played everyone from baseball pitcher Satchel Paige to Egyptian leader Anwar Sadat to even a few aliens. Get back to that in a little bit. In this film, actually a TV movie for the ABC network in the States, which inspired a short-lived series, he's another strong figure as a doctor, though he may not be quite as strong as he seems. From 1978, this is The Lazarus Syndrome. The Lazarus Syndrome. Starring Louis Gossett Jr., Ronald Hunter. On a sunny morning, a man in pajamas and robe walks from his house across a front yard toward a newspaper on the ground. Guest starring E.G. Marshall, Sheila Fraser, Lara Parker, Peggy Walton Walker. The man bends down and picks up the paper. As he glances through it, down the sidewalk of the residential neighborhood. Another man rounds a corner, jogging. Director of photography, Chuck Arnold. He jogs toward the man with the newspaper, now at the sidewalk. Morning, doctor. Good morning, Mr. Ramos. He pauses. How are you this morning? Oh, no, I've had the first cup of coffee. Uh-huh. Coffee bad for a person, doc? Only if you drink too much, Mr. Ramos. He jogs up a neighboring driveway, written by William Blinn. A woman swims in an in-ground pool, directed by Jerry Thorpe. The doctor ends his jog at the edge. Hey! She stands. Morning. He sits. Did you have a nice run? Yeah. He unzips the sweatshirt over his turtleneck. You were asleep when I left. You were asleep when I got home last night. Well, you know me in the late show. Sure do. Staying home today? Well, I thought I'd go in this morning and uh, bring some of those medical records up to date. I'll be back as soon as I can. Mac, it's Sunday. I know, but it's the only chance I get. She turns away. Okay. Kids up? Watching cartoons. Uh, I'll start the coffee. She looks back. I already did it. Thank you. She turns away again. I've got ten more laps to do. Don't let me stop you. She pushes off and swims away. Mac watches her. 
Meanwhile, another man plays tennis with a woman. Out! Game! Out! They step forward. What do you mean out? <laughs> Five foot at least. Yeah, what's the score? Five three. She gets the ball. Okay. Yes, sir. As he bends to get another ball, he stops with a pained expression and drops the ball. Turning to serve, she notices him bent over. Joe? Joe, you all right? Yeah. Yeah, just a little out of breath, that's all. I'll be fine. You want to take a break? Yeah. Might be a good idea. Soon after, she gets cans of soda from a vending machine and steps toward Joe, who sits at a table. She sets a can down in front of him and sits, opening her own. Mm. Question. Only one. When does your wife get back in town? They get back tomorrow afternoon sometime. She leans toward him. Then we're still on for dinner? If you want. I want. Every night I can get with you. Joe looks down. Every middle of the night I can get with you. His expression is pained again. Not to mention the early mornings. Hey, are you listening to me? Huh? You want to know about dinner? I'm going to go home, shower, and I'll pick you up about 7.30. You can shower at my place. No, I... I've got some calls I've got to make. In his office, Mac turns on a dictation recorder. Patient's name, Norman Stanbury. Age 55, seen last March for annual physical. STT wave changes indicated during stress EKG. Patient subsequently put on low-fat diet and entered into exercise program at Westside Y. He notices something on the wall. Photos of children. He sets down the recorder and leans back in his desk chair. Patient's name? MacArthur St. Clair. Age 37, cardiologist. Aneurysm of the marriage. Patient suffering severe anxiety and attempting to treat condition by working on Sunday afternoons in order to avoid confronting condition. Prognosis. Still in doubt. He looks at his wedding photo. Treatment. That's far. Putting head in his hand. At Joe's house. Hello. He's on the phone. My name is Joe Hamill. I am trying to reach Dr. Richards, please. Doctor is on will call. We expect he'll be checking in within the hour. Would you like to leave your number, Mr. Hamlish? Hamill. Yes, sir. And what's your number, please? I'll have the doctor call you when he checks in. The clock reads three o'clock. We'll call in about four. Would you like to leave your number? He sets down the phone and leans back in his kitchen chair, catching his breath. Holding his left arm, he gets up. We're supposed to play tennis. Then uses his right hand to rummage through a drawer. He grabs a slip of paper and shuts the drawer. Then returns to the table in the phone. 
dials, still favoring his left arm. 8851, doctor, isn't it? Answering his office phone is Mac. Hello, Dr. St. Clair. Hello? Uh, hello, Dr. St. Clair. You, you may not remember me. My name is Joe Hamill. We met about three months ago at the Kansas Society's fundraiser. We talked then about getting together, trying to play some tennis sometime. Uh, sure, I remember you, Mr. Hamill, but uh, I'm afraid there's no way I can break loose to play any tennis today. See, I'm pretty busy here trying to straighten out some records. No, no, that, no, Doctor, that's not why I'm calling. Maybe it is, really. You see, I was playing tennis earlier today, and I... I guess I pulled a muscle or something. Uh, Mr. Hamill, I'm sure rest and applied heat would take care of that very nicely. Right now, I'm trying to do some very important things. I've pulled muscles before, you know. This is not like any of those other times. I'm nauseous and... I've got a kind of pain that starts right below the breastbone and down my left arm, too. Mac leans forward. Uh, Mr. Hamill. And picks up a pencil. Uh, frankly, uh, you caught me in a lie. I don't remember you. Forgive me. Could you tell me how old a man you are? Uh huh. He makes notes. Now, this pain down your arm, is it steady or does it throb? Steady. Is there anyone there with you, Mr. Hamill? No, I'm by myself. Mm hmm. Where do you live? On Rose Street, near Talmadge. Not too far from uh, Webster Memorial, then, huh? About five blocks. Okay. Now, I want you to humor me a little bit, Mr. Helm. The chances are this pain you've got is nothing. But I think we better get you down to the emergency room at Webster Memorial. Check this thing out. The emergency room? Oh, no, no, no. Don't get hyper on me, Mr. Hamill. I'm a cardiologist, and that's the first thing we want to check out. Standard procedure. Just let me take a listen to your pump, and chances are you'll be home in time for your first martini. Hamill, on my way. Joe hangs up. Hamill? Hamill! <sighs> Later at the hospital, Joe's in a wheelchair. This is stupid. Yes. Stupid rules. Hospital. Stupid hospital. Right. A pill is dropped in a styrofoam cup as the worker wheels Joe around a corner. Mac walks from the cup to Joe. Hello, Joe. How are you feeling? He takes over the chair. Fifteen minutes ago, you didn't remember my name. Well, I'm occasionally hypocritical. Answer my question. How do you feel? They enter an exam room. I want to throw up, but I can't. They stop at a gurney as the nurse bends down. Much pain in your arms and your chest? A little bit. The nurse helps move his legs. Maybe more than a little bit. All right, I want you to get up here. Take it easy. Joe gets up. This lady's going to hook up a gizmo to you to see what's going on in there. If, in fact, anything is. Mac rolls the chair to the worker. You can take this chair back. Well, well shouldn't I wait? What for? Well, if he's okay, I'm just going to have to wheel him back well, out. Look, I know about all the sacrosanct rules of he this house. He calls him stupid and he says, Dr. Cardiac Arrest. He hurries to Joe lying on the gurney. <sighs> then looks at a heart rate monitor. He's in the V-fib. Cold blue! In the hall. Cart coming in. An orderly goes to the cart. As Mac pushes down on Joe's chest, the nurse listens at Joe's mouth for breathing, then gives mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. The worker watches the cart be pushed in with other equipment. A doctor places a mask over Joe's mouth and pumps air. Get an IV started. Let me have 400. He accepts defibrillation paddles as the orderly adjusts a device. 400. Stand clear. The paddles jerk Joe's torso. 
but the monitor reading doesn't change. Make a lighter cane and bike car. Okay. Stand clear. Mac holds the paddles on Joe, who jerks again. Mac watches the monitor. A heart rate appears. He hands off the paddles. Get the IV ready. Lidocaine drip. Get a 12 lead on it. Move it. Still with the wheelchair, the worker watches the orderly run off. She wheels it away. Later, with tubes in his nostrils, Joe slowly opens his eyes. As he focuses, a U-shape before him becomes clearer. the track for a sliding curtain in a ceiling. He turns to an IV device to his left, where a nurse walks past a glass wall into his room. I'm feeling Mr. Hebel. She walks around the front of his bed. Yes, here. She pours a cup of water from a pitcher and holds the straw of it to his mouth. Joe drinks. It's Sunday night, 10 of 12. You're in the coronary care unit at Webster Memorial Hospital. It hurts. I shouldn't wonder. Why does it hurt? Did I have a heart attack? We don't know yet, Mr. Hamill. But you had a something, that's for sure. You passed out. Something like that. Everything seems to be under control now. We'll be uh, watching you soon. They turn to the heart monitor. Don't worry about a thing. You bet. We called her house. There was no answer. They're out of town. That's what your employer said. A Mr. Chancellor from the Times dispatch. She steps to the other side. He said he'd take care of her to notify. Doctor, that's St. Clair. We left about an hour ago. She adjusts the IV device. He said, he'll see you in the morning, so what you should do now is just close your eyes and go to sleep. Close my eyes and go to sleep. That's right. She walks out. Slowly, Joe turns his head again to the heart monitor, which shows regular pulsing lines. Next day, Mac walks past a nurse's station. Good morning, Stace. Morning, Doctor. Oh, Mendel's called a staff meeting for 10 o'clock. Tell him I'll be there. He walks through a door labeled critical care, staff only. A nurse is on a phone. We really need the information. And if I hang up, the way this switchboard's been working, we'll never get through to you people again. Morning, Doctor. Good morning. He pulls out a file. How's Hamill doing? Well, he got a little sleep. Restless most of the night, though. I can't say that I blame him. Any coffee? I'll bring you a cup. Reading the file, he walks into Joe's room. He shuts the file. Good morning. Am I going to die? Everybody dies, Mr. Hamill. If you're looking for life everlasting, you've come to the wrong fella. He shines a light in Joe's eyes. How do you feel? Putrid. Most discomfort. Enough. He puts his pen light away. Well, hopefully that should dissipate pretty much by the end of the day. Didn't really have a heart attack today. I don't know yet. The test results aren't back. 38 is pretty young for a heart attack, isn't it? Any age is young to the person having the heart attack, Mr. Hamill. But like I said, we're not sure that's what you had. We still have a ton of tests to run. Let's hit a bad one. They don't have any good ones, Mr. Hamill. 
Hey, call me Joe. Please stop playing word games with me. I'm a big boy. I want to know everything that you know. I want to ask you a favor. A? Okay. Joe. B? I don't know very much yet, and I'm not playing any word games with you. Now, an educated guess is that you might have had a heart attack, but we're not certain. Now, what is certain is that something did go wrong inside of there, and the quicker we find out what it is, the sooner we'll be able to deal with it, okay? Hmm? Joe relents. Now, what's the favor? Not visitors. One visitor at a time, ten minutes out of every hour, as long as you're here in the coronary care unit. How long would that be? That depends on what those tests show. He smiles sheepishly. Well, I might need two shifts, Doc. You just lost me. Well, there is this lady that I am involved with. Uh-huh. And there's my wife. I'd like the lady to be able uh -huh. to come with her own set of visiting hours. So that, uh, she doesn't run into your wife. Right. Well, you let us know if the discomfort doesn't uh, subside. If necessary, I'll increase the pain medication. In the meantime, I'll set up the rest of those tests. You get some rest for now, yeah? Then you won't set up this visiting hours thing? Mr. Hamill. Joan, I don't think it's the doctor's function to assist their patients in carrying on their affairs. Is it the doctor's function to make moral judgments about people he doesn't know about? The nurse on the phone arrives. We'll see. She gives Matt coffee. When the time comes. He walks away. Mr. Hamill, can I get something for you? Yeah, I, I saw you give St. Clair a cup of coffee. I'm afraid not. Tea? Nothing with caffeine. What can I have? There's hot chicken broth, I think. So medical science has finally caught up with my mother. Later. Fifteen million dollars. A man draws on a chalkboard. That's what the federal government has earmarked for this research. And the fact that we haven't gone after it is frankly an embarrassment. Dr. Mendel, aren't we putting the cart before the horse? Beside Mac. The reason no one applied for the funds is because we really don't have facilities for that kind of research. Doctor, the reason we don't have the facilities because we don't have the funds necessary to build those facilities. Ergo, we apply for the funds, we get the funds, we build the facilities, we do the research. Simple? Isn't there such a thing as getting too big? No. Well, if I agree that the best medicine is practiced on a one-to-one -one basis... But we are not agreeing. A woman enters. One-to-one -one medicine is an anachronism. Medical teams, working with the most sophisticated hardware we can devise... Give she hands Mac a note, which he reads. Hamill's wife is here. Not holding someone's hand and... Mac gets up from his chair. Bedside bromides. Can it wait, Dr. Sinclair? He walks past Mendel. I wanted to say a few words about the Board of Governors fundraiser. No, Doctor, I'm sorry, can't. I've got to hold someone's hand and offer bedside bromides. He leaves the meeting room. In a waiting area... I want to see him. Why can't I see him? Mrs. Hamill, you can see him tomorrow. But first, I think that we should talk. I want to make sure you understand his condition. Is he dying? No, I, I don't believe so. He's had a coronary event of some sort, but we don't know how bad it was yet. They said he's in critical condition. Oh. Mrs. Hamill, until he's finished with these tests, we have to follow certain procedures. He notices Joe's mistress behind his wife at the nurse's station. She notices him. You see you as being in critical condition. I don't understand this. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. 
I don't know how this happened. I mean, it's like some hideous nightmare. I know how concerned you must be. And I guess about all I can say at this point is that we're doing everything we possibly can to find out how extensive the damage is. The mistress listens. And I'll tell him that you were here. I'm sure that will do him a world of good. Truly. Smiling her thanks to Mac. The mistress steps away. Are you sure I can't see him today? Please. No, I'm sure. The mistress presses an elevator call button. Thank you, doctor. Mrs. Hamill stands, and so does Mac. He watches her walk to the elevators, where she stands by the mistress, waiting. An elevator door opens, and as the wife enters, Mac watches the mistress follow and stand as far away as possible. The elevator closes. No wonder he's got heart trouble. Later, a tape with a jagged line slides out of a machine, which is monitored by a technician as a nurse holds a device to Joe's chest. Joe's eyes shift from the machine to the technician. The machine is shut off, and Joe is released from other devices on his wrists. How am I doing? Just fine. Mac enters. Good evening. Joe sits up. Good evening, doctor. If you ask how I'm feeling, I'm going to go right for your throat. I'm not going to ask. You slept well enough. You ate reasonably well. You were able to cut back on your pain medication without you climbing the walls. So I'd say you're okay. He reads the tape. What's the paper say? A few changes. But your enzymes are okay. So once we get you stabilized, I think I'd probably like to do a stress EKG on you. Whatever you say. I wish I could believe you meant that. With the technician gone, Mac waits for the nurse to leave. Your wife was here today. I think your lady was, too. She about uh, five foot six, blonde, beige, turtleneck. Yeah. She was here. How'd you know it was her? It was her. When you get out of CCU, I'll set up that uh, dual visiting shift you're talking about. But you won't like doing it, will you? No, I won't. Why? You can't be Catholic. <laughs> Come on now, is that a new rule? We have to move to the rear of the Vatican now? <laughs> I just meant uh, it's not usual. But maybe you're not usual. Well, maybe I'm not. But let me answer your question this way. He starts out, then turns back. But I will say this much. You're trying to get out of a marriage, and I'm busting my hump trying to keep one together. He steps back in. You've had a cardiac arrest. The fact of the matter is that my father died at the age of 48 of a coronary. And if an insurance agent were to write us both up, your rates would probably be a lot lower than mine because of genetic factors. You and me have about the same life going on, but we're moving in different directions. I don't mind admitting I have some very mixed emotions about you, Hamill. St. Clair, we're totally up to you. 
Would you save me? Max smirks. Well, it's a dirty job. But somebody's got to do it. Joe smiles. <laughs> Good night. Mac leaves. Later, Mac's wife showers at home. Hey. Mac walks by. You got a call. Who from? Somebody named Hamill. Oh, no. Give me a break. Why? Who's Hamill? Is he doctor? He thinks so. Mac is shaving things from a cabinet. It means that he's a patient who got out of CCU as of yesterday. Now that he has access to a phone, a patient who's going to drive me right up the wall. That's what it means. I believe the old-fashioned phrase is, you got your goal. Yeah. Well, I must admit, it's a phrase I never wholly understood. Mac stands at the mirror. Hamill is a near genius who thinks he's a genius, a layman who thinks he's a doctor. The pain in the rear is going to outlive us all and shorten my life considerably. You are cute when you're mad. Yeah. And you're gorgeous when you're sarcastic. Nothing being sarcastic. I meant it. She steps out in a towel. Anything that can get you to get angry or to get you to smile or do anything, even on that list of approved things the cardiologist to do, gets my vote. You saying I'm a little dull? He uses an electric shaver. Saying that you're very dedicated. Ah. Which? Full and dull. Looking at her, he lowers the shaver. She looks back noncommittally. It's been a long 15 years, hasn't it been? It was a very short 12 years. It's been a very long three years after that. May I ask you a rough question? Sure. Are you having an affair? She glances down and looks back up. There's two answers. true one and the really true one which one do you want I'm not sure the true one is no I'm not having an affair what's the really true one the really true one is no I'm not having an affair anymore. Hit me, Max. Slap me if you want to. Because doing nothing hurts me more than anything you could do with your hands. He finally looks down. As she covers her mouth, he turns away from her and leans on the sink counter. How did it happen? Us. I fell in love with a student. I lived with an intern and I married a doctor. Every step up was a step away. The more you were around the dying, 
the more you closed yourself off. And the more you did that, the harder you were to touch. People need to touch, Mac. Hesitantly, she reaches for his arm. When she touches it, he looks down at her hand, and she gazes at him desperately. He puts his hand on hers, and she puts her other hand on his. Taking her hand, he raises it to his lips and kisses it, and gazes at her. They kiss passionately. He kisses all around her face. Where are the kids? He nuzzles her ear. Watching cartoons. As he holds her face, they gaze at each other. Let's not pull the plug on us yet. He smiles a little. Good for us. Later in a hospital waiting area. How about a transplant then? A transplant? Be serious. With Joe and his wife. Doctor, I'm asking you a question and it concerns my heart. I can assure you I'm very serious. Max sips from a carton of chocolate milk. Okay. He puts it aside. Hold up your hand. Joe holds up his left hand. Turn it around. He holds his palm out. Now look at your little finger. He does. The area of your heart that seems to be affected is about the size of your little fingernail. Not exactly worth ripping the whole thing out for. They're having a lot of success with transplants at Stanford. Yeah? And the reason they have is because they weed out crackpots like yourself who don't need that drastic procedure. Then what? A bypass? Hamill, will you give it a break? We still haven't finished some tests, but we already know by what we have so far that you don't need a bypass. Why don't I? Because you don't have a major cardiac insufficiency. Says who? Says your coronary angiogram. As interpreted by? Me. And I'm your doctor. And I'm very good at what I do. I know. I checked you out. You did what? Look, it's my heart. I made a few calls. I'm a newspaper man, remember? You ought to feel good you checked out okay. I wasn't aware that I needed to be checked out. Doc, we're not the Corsican brothers. I have another cardiac arrest. You don't die. I do. Joe's wife leans forward. Doctor, could I get you uh, some more milk or something? No, thank you, Mrs. Hamill. Well, Joe, I, uh, I guess I really should be going. I have to pick him up from a recital. Sure thing, I know. No problem. Joe squeezes her hand briefly. Are you sure you won't be lonesome without me tonight? I mean, I can get a sitter if you want. No. There's a game on the tuba. I'll be fine. Give the kids a kiss for me, okay? Yeah, I will. She kisses his cheek. Then hands him some magazines she had on her lap. I'll see you tomorrow, then. Right. Tomorrow. When she stands, so does Mac. She picks up her coat and purse. Goodbye, doctor. Goodbye. She walks away. Mac looks down at Joe. Nice lady. 
very easier if she wasn't. You better get back. Yeah. They each pick up their things. How about walking part of the way with me? Something I want to talk to you about. Joe stands. Something out of all those magazine articles you've been quoting to me? In a way, yeah. They step away. There's this one article that gives a point total to the important things that happen to you. Get over a certain number of points and supposedly you're heading for trouble. I am already in enough physical trouble. I don't need any points added to my life. You follow me so far? It's tough, but I'm hanging in there. You pause. Okay, now, so if I decide to talk about a divorce with my uh, wife... Hold it, hold it. Not another word. Look, you want to get a divorce, you get a divorce. You want to be with the other lady, you be with the other lady. But you leave me out of it. This is classic Lazarus syndrome, and you can just leave me out of it. What is a Lazarus syndrome? Patients who think that doctors are God-like miracle workers in all things. Now, I might be able to get your heart to start beating when it stops, but I can't make a decision for you. I can't, and I won't. Okay, fair enough. One more thing. One more short thing, Hamill. I have other patients, you know. About that Dr. Mendel guy who runs this place. Yeah, what about him? The guy I share a room with. Mendel's his doctor. He came in to see him last night late. Come on, Hamill. What? I'm pretty certain that your esteemed head doctor is a junkie doctor. Joe steps into an open elevator and presses a button. See you around. The doors close. Mac presses the call button, and they open again. He joins Joe. What are you talking about? Dr. Mendel has one of the finest reputations of any... He notices another doctor in the elevator, so he presses the button to close. We'll talk. At night at home, Mac reaches from bed to turn on a lamp then picks up a phone. Dr. St. Clair. Good evening, Dr. St. Clair. I'm sorry you're unable to attend the board's fundraising banquet this evening. A number of people inquired about your absence, but I told them a man with your schedule couldn't be expected to waste his time on such mundane matters. Dr. Mendel? That's correct. Max sits up as his wife lies beside him. You're calling me at 10 o'clock just to bless me out about... Not being at some damn banquet, is that it? Not at all. I'm calling to thank you for your aid in helping me practice medicine. Dr. Mendel, I, I, don't, I don't know what you... And I'm also calling to suggest we set up a meeting, you and I, so that you can explain some of the subtleties of medicine I obviously don't understand. Uh, doctor, I still don't know what we're talking about, but if, if you want a meeting, we'll have a meeting. When and where? My office, in half an hour. Mendel hangs up. <coughs> Mendel's unhappy. Livid. About. Mac hangs up. I don't know. It was either something I said or something someone else said or... Uh-oh. In Mendel's office. It's undoubtedly my fault, actually. The institution should keep top-notch doctors at work. We should avoid underbooking your caseload so as to force you into spreading your wisdom among other patients. Patients, not your own. Doctor, I still don't know what you're talking about. We're talking about Albert Dominguez. A patient of mine who told me this afternoon he doesn't want the bypass. A patient of mine who told me he's now deciding he might want to be your patient. Why? I don't know. I never heard of the man. Never met him. That's your first lie, Sinclair. And I don't intend to let you get away with it. Doctor, I don't lie. You were introduced to Dominguez last Thursday. What room is he in? 516. Oh, he shares the room with a patient of mine named Joe Hamill. That's correct. 
Okay, so maybe I did meet him. But uh, the name went in one ear and out the other. As far as I'm concerned, he's a guy in... So you did lie. I forgot his name. Uh, whatever. And I certainly didn't talk to him about his condition or your diagnosis of that condition. But you did talk to Mr. Hamill about a bypass in negative terms. Hamill does not need a bypass. Dominguez does. Then give it to him. I can't now. Why not? Because your Mr. Hamill has pointed out to Mr. Dominguez. They're both about the same age. They're both in after the first heart problem. They're both very much alike, so why should Mr. Dominguez run the risk of major coronary surgery while all you're recommending for Mr. Hamill is a rehab program of diet and physical reconditioning? Doctor, I regret that all this has happened, but you can't hold me responsible for having a motor mouth patient. I can. I do. I am. Mendel picks up a file. Here are Mr. Dominguez's records, Doctor. I want you to read them and study them closely. But, Doctor, that, that's not... And then I want you to tell Mr. Hamill to butt out talking with my people. Then I expect you to sit down and write me an apology. An apology? An apology for? for nearly costing Mr. Dominguez his life. Unless he consents to the bypass. Max sets down a coffee cup and heads for the door. He opens it, glares at Mendel, and leaves. So, is Joe right about Mendel being a junkie? Or is he only addicted to ambition and being a jerk? Find out in the conclusion of The Lazarus Syndrome, next time on Movies for the Blind. Science fiction fans might find Mac's grudging friendship with Joe has echoes in the film Enemy Mine, in which Louis Gossett Jr. transcended heavy makeup and even got to be pregnant as an alien warrior stuck on an abandoned planet with a mortal enemy, played by Dennis Quaid, with whom he must get along in order to survive and continue his race. Gossett's performance made such a big impression, it inspired his casting as the voice of the Vortigaunts in the video game Half-Life 2. To find out more about the movies, about description, and how to subscribe, go to the blog, moviesfortheblind.com, where you can also find out about this podcast, Creative Commons License. Also, check out the Movies for the Blind page on Facebook and the channel on YouTube. The movies are from the Internet Archive, so please support universal access to human knowledge by visiting and donating at archive.org. Thank you for downloading and for listening. Be back next week. Take care.